We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome in to another episode of Buzzbeat, the Charlotte Hornets podcast. Uh, this is Brian Geisinger. I'll be joined today on, on this uh, draft edition of the pod by Lee Branscombe and Spencer Percy. As usual, Richie Randall on the on the ones and twos producing. Um, Spencer will be here momentarily. Uh, we're all kind of uh, rushing to finish up with work and Perhaps even some of us battling, you know, vaunted Raleigh, Durham, or Charlotte uh, traffic. I'm betting I'm battling allergies today. I'll just say that too. Allergies were tough in the triangle. So uh, if I sneeze or look like a buffoon on the video, feel free to make fun of me. But just know it's not uh, it's not entirely uh, my fault. Uh, so yeah, please feel free to chime in. Uh, we would love to hear from you guys comments. Um, I know this is like uh, a pretty exciting time for the Hornets. The draft is, let me check my watch here, June 22nd. So we're about four weeks out from the, the actual day and now having the lottery behind, uh, behind the NBA, you know, we know uh, at least before some of these trades, what the order is going to look like. And the other week we found out Lee, that the Hornets are coming into the 2023 NBA draft with a multitude of picks, but following the lottery, uh, the number two overall pick drafting behind the San Antonio Spurs with the red carpet rolled out for Victor Wembanyama. So before we get into all of that, Lee, how are you doing here, man? I'm good, BG. Um, it, it is, like you said, I mean, there isn't like a ton going on right now with the Hornets, but this one thing gives us so much to talk about that it, I think, fills the space uh, and more. I guess I'm just wondering, like, what kind of espionage and rumors do we have to get started so that the Spurs pass on Wimby and the Hornets get generational luck at number two. Like what? Like what can I do on the Twitter machine to like fire that up? We need. I think what you would need. I think the only thing that would work was you would need some like like uh, you need someone that's like a 
that comes down on the Hooper side of the Hooper versus basketball Ooh. player debate to be Ooh. to be uh, pushed That's into angle. the front office of the Spurs because <laughs> then there's maybe a chance that Scoot goes one after seeing his mid range package on full display and then, and then Victor Wembanyama falls to uh, to two but no short of short of that I think Wembanyama's leg could fall off in the next three weeks and he he still might go. Uh, number one, he had a, he also had another a just dominant performance a, a couple of days ago too. Like the guy is just unreal. You know he is he is he is a hell of a prospect. And uh, Spencer and I talked about this a little bit on the last episode. You know I I don't love some of the oh he's the best prospect since LeBron or he's the best prospect right. since ever or since Abdul since Lou Alcindor like team sports history there's just there's just no way to there's just no way there's no like credible way to measure that really and we'll just say that about like every election is going to be the most important election of our lifetimes every draft will be the most important draft like it's just we we have to uh in the moment like sensationalize these things but like he's he's obviously the real deal and he's going to be um, an incredible player. Well, and uh, I would say, like, I don't think, like, you know, if, if you've been a listener of this podcast through draft season in the past, like, neither one, neither you or me is shy about having a contrarian take here or there. But, like, even my, like, contrarian yeah. brand, like, there's just nothing. I mean, he's, he is, I think it would be fair to say that he is one of the best prospects in the past 20 to 30 years. Now, yeah. whether you, you know, AD, LeBron, Zion. I mean, these are all right. unbelievable prospects at the time of their drafting. He's in that group-ish, I would say. It really does feel like even people that are, you know, paid, you know, uh, people in the media covering the draft, like, it feels like a lot of people forgot about Zion pretty quickly. <laughs> like, oh. like, it wasn't that, it really wasn't that long ago. No. Some of Zion's teammates from college at Duke are still playing college basketball. And, like, we've just already completely just, like, backshelved uh, how insane, uh, you know, the it, the sweepstakes for him, you know, were. Um, I, I do think there's some difference between, uh, you know, an NCAA prospect and uh, an sure prospect at least in terms of how those players are going to be covered and how i think uh at least the like domestic nba fans are going to sort of be able to pay attention to that although it does seem like with Wembenyama that and maybe this was a one-off or maybe this will be just like the the new the, the new thing for when you have like a top five prospect like this it does feel like things started to shift like you know his games were on nba tv this guy yeah. uh, being a part of even i think casual fans understanding of, of scouting in the draft for you know, at least six or seven if nine months if not you know maybe a little bit longer than that but enough with the uh the the preamble here the, the hornets number, the hornets have the number two pick which means they have their choice of the board after um you know after victor Wembenyama, and it did kind of feel like after they landed the number two pick uh that night that there was, I think the Hornets could have felt good, certainly landing inside the top three, landing inside the top four, even, and, uh, and not falling back uh, to five all the way that Detroit Pistons did, who entered the night with a you know a 14% chance, tied for the best odds of getting the the number one overall slot. But it did feel like, and, and I th- I thought sort of for a period of time that this had been trending. Like the who's the number two overall prospect in the draft after it being like ironclad scoot consensus, you know, 
uh, last fall and winter that it did kind of feel like through the course of the college basketball season and just the way some um, some uh, media and talking heads around the draft had sort of uh, began discussing a prospect like Brandon Miller, like that there had been not just some momentum for Miller, but it seemed like he had maybe even uh, you know, usurp scoot in the minds of some as the number two, as like the clear cut, you know, number two overall prospect in the draft. That's not how I see it to be clear. Like I, I think I've for, for months now I've made my uh, opinions on scoot Henderson felt um, in, in Lee. I mean, you and I last September, we did a full, you know, hour long episode on scoot. And then when we did our multi-part episode on Wimbenyama in October, we talked a little bit on about scoot too, because that was after their, uh, you know, their duel in the desert uh, yeah. in Vegas, which was really like one of the most fun basketball things that probably happened um, this calendar basketball season. But look, I think everyone in Hornets land now, like this is going to be the topic of conversation for the next couple of weeks, the next month, basically. Like it it really is going to be Scoot versus Brandon Miller or, you know, Eamon Thompson. I, I, I He's a phenomenal prospect and he's probably... Uh, would be number three on my big board uh, above Miller, actually. But we are going to start this. Like again, everyone's talking about this, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we'll sip from the same uh, the same Kool Aid here, and we're gonna go ahead and get in today and discuss Scoot, discuss Brandon Miller, and then maybe do a little bit compare, contrast, and sort of explain why we would have those guys valued, why we would have one valued above the other, and and there's no. I mean, I, I know how I feel. There's, there's no right or wrong, you know, answers here. And, and, and again, I'm not sure if uh, so it doesn't look like Spencer's quite jumped in yet. But okay, let's go ahead and just Lee. You and I have done this before, but why don't we get in with the the Scoot Henderson uh, scouting report um, for those who you know aren't in the know at this point? Six foot two guard, six foot nine wingspan. Um, in a terrific, terrific lead guard prospect, unbelievable athlete, especially if you want to narrow it to the, uh, the, the, like the point guard, the lead guard, uh, small guard demographic, insanely quick elite burst, good first step. It has the ability to, to get skinny and get into gaps and get into pockets of space. And that's something he showed across even his first season playing with, uh, the G league ignite. But I think a little bit different in year two was it did seem like he had bulked up some this year. Like he's really well built, uh, yeah. not just for a young guard, but for a you know a young guard that has a, a pretty impressive wingspan as well, plus seven reportedly, and he can use like I do think that strength, the added strength, has made him um, an even more dynamic downhill driver because he already had pretty good body control. He was already explosive. But now he has the ability to, you know, push guys off and, and get a little bit of added space around the rim and in the lane. He has the ability to, I think, even access tougher spots around the rim. Um, and that's where, you know, it's where not the majority, but a, a lot of his shots have come this season. So I guess that was maybe one of the first things that jumped out for me in year two with Scoot. I guess sort of like like taking the 20,000 foot view, uh, what was maybe the biggest change you noticed, if any, from year one to, to year two with Scoot Henderson? Of course, getting to play, um, you know, in terms of percentage share, you know, more time on the ball, more playmaking responsibilities with this G League Ignite team 
not having to share some of that with guys like Dyson Daniels and Jaden Hardy. Yeah, I mean, he was he was certainly more featured, obviously, this year, as he should have been. I mean, there were there were a lot of moments last year where you'd be you'd be kind of watching the the prospects for G League Ignite, Hardy and Foster and Dyson Daniels and that that whole crew they had last year. And it's just like, man, who the hell is the scoot kid? I mean, he was just dynamic and impactful almost every time he came on the floor. I think the one thing I wanted to kind of like highlight in the scoot discussion is kind of this, um, you know, conversation around like his fit with LaMelo ball and BG. I know we've talked about this in the past together and I think it's worth kind of like re-earthing a little bit because it is out there like this kind of this overall question. And, and I'm with you in the fact that like, if there are Hornets fans, if there are personalities on Hornets Twitter that prefer Brandon Miller to Scoot Henderson, I don't think that that's a ridiculous opinion. I, I do fall on the other side of that camp, but I can understand how someone would get would get there rationally. Like Brandon Miller, he is an awesome prospect. Mm-hmm. You know, I do think his the 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 highest ceiling of Brandon Miller's archetype is probably slightly higher than Scoot Henderson's. I just think that there's a lot more risk involved with Brandon Miller than there is with Scoot Henderson. And I think that because – so there's two dynamics here that in my mind – two of the biggest dynamics in my mind that allow the fit with LaMelo Ball. Number one is because LaMelo has become such an awesome shooter. Mm -hmm. Like that – ahead of schedule development for LaMelo allows him to coexist with a guard like Scoot um, much more harmoniously in my mind. And then number two is the fact that I believe that Scoot Henderson can be an elite point of attack defender with his, with his instincts, with his size, with his strength, with his quickness, um, with the way he plays on the defensive end. I think honestly, it's it's in a fantastic marriage, and then you kind of like sprinkle in imagination and hopefulness as Hornets fans could start to think about those two in transition and playing off of each other um, with Lamelo's brilliant passing, with Scoot's di- you know dynamite athleticism and physicality. Like, I just kind of want to like put it out there that with the caveat of I get it if if you prefer Brendan Miller, that's not insane by any means. But the question out there about whether Ball and Henderson can play together, I think is super overblown. Like, they can absolutely play together. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, yeah. Like with all of my thoughts and analysis on Scoot, a, a guy that I've you know covered and watched pretty intently for a, almost a year and a half, two years now. Like, it doesn't mean I don't think Brandon Miller isn't like a, a stud prospect. Like he's he's really really good. And if I were if I were in charge of a team drafting fourth or fifth, I would be like very excited to have uh, a player like Brandon Miller. Uh, follow me. We can get into some of that more, but just talking about the the hypothetical fit with Scoot and Lamelo. Like for one thing, the Hornets, you know, they're not drafting for fit or for position right now. Like they're in a, they should be in a position to just take the best prospect available, right? And if if for whatever reason you got to the conclusion that Brandon Miller was a better prospect than Scoot Henderson, I would disagree with that. But that's who you should take, right? Hundred um, percent. You know, but. With that said, there's also no like I've even seen like John Gavoni from ESPN sort of float the notion of, well, the Hornets are you look at their wing rotation and it's really, really bad. So they need to they should they should look into uh, they should draft wing. They should draft position for position. And like, again, not only are the Hornets like it should that not factor into the calculus, right? Like they need. They just need to take the best player available. One, it's a similar thought process that got the Warriors to take James Wiseman <laughs> over That's LaMelo so Ball, which is why the Hornets have LaMelo Ball. If LaMelo Ball wasn't on this roster, just think about how how dark the guard room would look too. Ooh. Like it's, it's really just one player doing all of the heavy lifting there. And then if the Hornets had gotten the number one pick, I know Wembenyama's in his own category as a prospect, but can you imagine someone covering the draft going on and saying, well, the Hornets drafted Mark Williams. They just signed Nick Richards to an extension. Uh, they're kind of deep at the center position, but man, that wing rotation is not looking good. They should probably take Brandon Miller number one overall. Like it's, I know it's not apples to apples, right? But like the same logic applies. Yes, they don't have many good wings on this roster. They're a bad basketball. T- they're a bad NBA team. Like no duh. The way you try to hopefully long-term rectify that is by taking the most talented players with the biggest upside at the at your draft slots, which again, my opinion, that is Scoot Henderson. As far as the fit goes with LaMelo Ball, I've talked about this a lot. Um, LaMelo, 41% career catch-and-shoot guy. You can take down Spencer said it, and well, we need to introduce Spencer because I believe he's here now too, but... Lamella Ball is a guy that as good as he is on the ball and you still want him on the ball a ton where he does struggle is the downhill finishing being able to to constantly create advantage get to the rim finish through contact put pressure on the rim like he is a generational passer he's a good pull-up shooter and he is an unbelievable like processor of the game of basketball um, but that doesn't mean he needs to run 100 pick and rolls per game. And in fact, having a guy that you could come in 
give some of those ball handling duties to and let LaMelo get off the ball as a mover, as a relocation shooter, as a guy that can be a connective passer, cutting into space, hitting ahead in transition um, would be would be like a dream kind of like outcome. I think honestly for LaMelo, uh, those guys are friends. Mind you is, is something that uh, I think Jonathan Gavoni mentioned the other week. Uh, they're both, I think Puma shoe guys, if that matters at, at all as well. Um, the other thing I would say is right now, Scoot Henderson is not a good three point shooter, but he is a pretty good mid range shooter. There are reasons I think given a year or two to think that he's going to develop into a pretty good three point shooter. And he too is a very good passer, not like LaMelo, right? LaMelo's sort of like special in, in this regard, but right. Scoot Henderson is a good passer as well. And a guy that can do some stuff already off the basketball as a teenager. So if you are worried about fit, I think there are ways you can make it work. Like even next season, uh, if that is a concern, you know, I, I still think like long-term you, you have to be thinking about this longer term. And I think that like it gets even easier as LaMelo gets stronger, as he improves, and as Scoop becomes uh, a better shooter. But with that in mind, uh, Spencer, I, I I think you're here with us. And, and uh, apologies, it took me so long to ramble through and, and, and get to you here. But how are you doing, sir? Uh, welcome in. And uh, yeah, any thoughts, just sort of like broadly speaking, on Scoot versus uh, Brandon Miller at two for the Hornets? Hey, hey, guys. Thanks for having me on your show. Hey, uh, I appreciate it. It's great to be here. <laughs> Uh, sorry for first the, time, long time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, late arrival. Sorry about that. I am here. I can't figure out my camera. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm 35 years old. I made fun of old people for a long time, specifically my father and father-in-law about technology. And I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm becoming them slowly, but surely. So sorry about all that. Aren't we all? Yeah. We yeah. Thought Thoughts are... BG, I think we text earlier this week, probably in the group text, like I, you mentioned it, you know, during lottery night that this thing was going to pick up steam, you know, Scoot versus Miller. I didn't anticipate it would happen that quickly. So that's been a little surprising to me. Um, and the reports around well, all the buzz in the gym at the combine was, you know, Hornets are definitely taking Miller, all this stuff. Like I, I was kind of caught off guard about a lot of that, but I mean, I, I, I think the same thing we talked about in the last pod where I think Scoot and LaMelo are a super intriguing fit together. And I think honestly, from a franchise perspective, the most intriguing aspect of, of drafting Scoot is that you have a bridge, you know, to the next, to the next, uh, you know, version of the franchise if LaMelo doesn't want to be here. Right. Um, so I, if, his age is just, you can't ignore it, and it's the same position that Lamelo plays. In a way, certainly if he's not here, but I don't know. I mean, I like Brandon Miller. I think he's a really good player. I don't think the Hornets can go wrong, or any team for that matter, by drafting him. Um, but it's impossible to ignore that the ceiling of Scoot Henderson, uh, in my opinion, is is just higher than Brandon Miller's. Um, but again, that's not to say I don't think Brandon Miller's a really really good prospect. I would also add that I don't think that the Hornets should be in the business of taking on a PR situation like Brandon Miller's. Now, I, I, that kid is probably hundred percent innocent. I have no idea. Okay. But <laughs> I, a small market like Charlotte, I, I just, I wouldn't have a huge appetite uh, of taking on another situation like that. 
considering you're probably sounds like we're trending towards bringing back Miles Bridges. And apologies if you guys have already covered this in the first few minutes. No, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't hit on Bridges yet. I know BG and Richie talked about it when the news came out a few weeks ago. So uh, you can certainly go back and check that episode out. We did cover the news when it happened. Um, yeah, I mean. Look, so there's a couple comments. I mean, Dre says both Scoot and Miller have superstar potential and skills. I, I agree with that, actually. Like, like I do think there is a best version of Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. Like, individually, their best versions are all NBA players, um, I think, from what I've scouted and from what I've seen. I just think, like I, I talked, I alluded to this a little bit earlier. I, actually, I do think there's more risk involved with Brandon Miller. I mean, you know, for every uh, Brandon Ingram of his archetype, there are three Kevin Knox, you know? So, like, there is this... there is this kind of long development arc with these with these massive, rangy, skinny, kind of offensive-minded wings. Now, and 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 Adam is 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 commenting about how uh, Brandon Miller had a bad had, had a bad NCAA tournament, which he did. Um, but that doesn't necessarily doom you as a prospect by any means. I mean, you know, we could certainly probably quibble with the with the rookie year that that uh, Jabari Smith had, but but he came on pretty strong late, and he had a terrible NCAA tournament. I do think BG. I'm curious. Would you have said that Scoot Henderson would have gone number one last year over over the likes of Jabari and um, Paolo? And, yeah, and exactly in yeah, chat. Uh, yeah. I think, I mean, I think, yes, I think he would have. And and I was I pretty agree. clear on, I was pretty clear on Palo as number, uh, you know, the number one overall prospect. Were, I, yeah. I, I had him one, I had Chet two. Uh, I mean, I had in Jabari three with, with Jay Nivey sort of nipping at his heels. And that's, you know, that's close to how it played out. Um, you know, obviously Sacramento went Keegan Murray and he had an, he had an awesome rookie season. So, but yeah, no, I would have, I think Scoot would have gone, I think, I think he would have gone one. Just, just, I do think like the athleticism is, or who knows, like maybe like, uh, you know, I'll pull out my own reasoning with Palo. It's like, don't overthink like 6'10, 250 pound, you know, teenager that can pass dribble, shoot and like process like in court map, you know? So maybe, maybe not like, maybe it's not a no brainer that, uh, that scoot would have gone above him. But I, I do think with like the lead guard with that type of athleticism, pretty rare, something you don't see every year. I do think it's something that probably would have given scoot like a slight, a slight edge. Uh, if you can, if you can make that comparison and if scoot could have also gone in the draft last year, I mean, he would have been doing it as an 18 year old, which um, would have been like another feather in his cap. I, I think it's interesting that seeing some of the stuff that like I read what Jonathan Wasserman at Bleacher Report published a couple of days ago, which is sort of similar to some of the stuff coming from ESPN of just like it does seem like the Hornets are are leaning to Miller at, at two. I just kind of and, and I addressed sort of uh, my frustrations already with like using uh, position type using fit with LaMelo, like using those types of reasonings to, to not have uh scoot above Miller. Like I've, I've sort of expressed that I do think did find it was interesting in Wasserman's piece that one, he mentioned how, you know, scoot hadn't played in a couple of months. He had missed time at the back half of the season with an injury and had, you know, after this great game out in Vegas against Wembenyama, like maybe he had, he hadn't been as impressive. Like I would, push back a little bit on that notion. Like I just watched a game he had against the Memphis hustle 
probably like two and a half months ago uh, from late, you know, late February, where he was awesome in it in a game where he was being guarded by Zaire Williams. And there were a lot of like, you know, NBA to NB fringe NBA guys on the court on both sides in that game. And that, you know, Miller did after having after being like really good for like the meat of the season, like Miller, like didn't have a good postseason for Alabama. So in and that was a season that ended two months ago, too. So like to assume that, you know, scored 20 a game and shot 42 percent from three and like led Bama to the title game. And that's what's giving him some boost. Like I find you know that that didn't happen. So I'm, again, it does feel like some of this stuff is sort of coming out of out of uh, left field a little bit. And then to also one of the other things in Wasserman's piece was him talking about like maybe NBA draft types and personnel people, like not having a good feel for the G league, uh, the G league game and the G league ignite. It's like, I I don't know, man, like it's year three. This isn't a new endeavor. This is Scoot's second year playing in it. And this is a league that's going against NBA to fringe NBA type competition. Like if, if anything, I think it should be like the, the, the cleanest uh, simulation between, you know, as far as you can get for evaluating a prospect before they, before they get to the NBA. I just don't, again, I don't think it should be any sort of like murkiness with, with, a, with evaluating the G league ignite compared to a team that plays in the sec versus a team that plays uh, is a pro team in France. Like you're going to have difficulties for sure with all of these things. I just don't know why that would be like some small, uh, fogginess with evaluating the G League would be the thing that would cause you to like, you know, second guess yourself on on Scoot. Like there's stuff with him where not only can you look at the numbers, but like just watch the film. Like it, you know, at the end of the day it's basketball and you know certain traits that are gonna that are gonna translate. And then the last thing I would say, Spencer, and you can jump you can jump in right after I get through this, but like, you know, Gavoni was seemed to be floating on the low post with Zach Lowe the other week that like you know, maybe some of uh, uh, Charlotte's front office types are are sort of like looking out, would be thinking more short term for their own jobs um, and for that type of stuff. Like uh, one, I would second guess, I, I would question, you know, whom is going to actually have a bigger impact next season. I just I know Miller's older, but I do think there's some things Scoot's going to do just immediately as soon as you put him on the court. But also, like, if if that's the case, then like that's a lot of bad faith. If that if if that's true, that's a lot of bad faith in terms of like the decision making uh, process. And my hope would be, if that's true, my hope would be that Scoot Henderson has like a Hall of Fame career. You know, like I'll I mean I'll be pulling for all of these. I want all these guys to come in and and do well. But like, uh, if 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 guys are going to use sort of like. Um, if they're going to sort of like question the science of the draft process and if they're going to be sort of like looking out for themselves more than just like taking the best prospect, then I hope they get burned. And I, and I would hope that that would be sort of like a black mark on, on, on their career uh, moving forward. So what say you uh, Spencer with some of the other sort of like noise that's picked up steam between scoot and, uh, and Brandon Miller here. Hey, before you get to that, Spencer, we've had a guy in our Twitter space who's been patient. Oh. Speak request here for Saul. So okay. I don't know if he has a comment or a question, but go ahead and jump in here, Saul. Yeah, I just I just want to make it really simple. I guess I'm not I'm not gonna be heartbroken if we take one or the other, but I th- I personally think Scoot is a lot closer to Derek Rose and Russell Westbrook. 
where Brandon Miller might be closer to Josh Jackson. So I personally take the kind of psychotic athlete. The, I mean, Saul, Saul's like not wrong. Like it is, yeah. That's generally it. speaking, good to bet on bet on special athleticism in these types of like practices. And that's something that uh, you know. Again, Henderson is a an elite track star. You know, a vertical athlete at the uh, the guard position. Well, you know, something I've thought a lot about with with Brandon Miller too is you know the system he played in. The, the guys that he played with, I mean, you know, they Alabama flies up and down the court and um, a lot of advantageous uh, situations Brandon Miller was given uh, in that system. And I, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. I, I think he's a really good prospect, but I do think that there is more downside to him than Scoot. So I, I agree with what BG said and I agree with what just, what Saul just said. I think what's, What's interesting, BG, if we can play, you know, theoretical for a second, you know, if if the Hornets really are, if these reports are true and they actually are leaning towards taking Brandon Miller, what they should really start to lean into is get Scoot Henderson in for a private workout, individual workout rather, float how much they love him and get Portland or whoever, you know, they need – they need to move down to three because there's a lot of teams that love to draft Scoot at two, right? So, you know, I mean, that's – but don't get me on the the whole Hornets doing the obvi- the thing that's obvious within the context of leverage. Yeah. Um, you know, if they want to take Brandon <laughs> Miller, they need to find a way to extract more value mm-hmm. other than just drafting Brandon Miller. And, yeah. um, like, I, I'm not going to lose sleep if that's the guy they want to draft. I, it's not what I would personally do, and I wouldn't trade the pick. But if you are going to draft Brandon Miller, you don't need to draft him at number two. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can, like, I, I could see them trying to galaxy brain this one way or the other. And it's like, to me, it's just like you have the number two pick. You don't, this isn't a draft where if you're the Hornets, you have to hope a guy falls to you, or you've got to like scramble and package stuff to try to move up, which is, you know, often not a great decision to make from like a, a draft capital standpoint, but it's like, all you have to do is just push the button. Like yeah. Scoot Henderson is going to be there at two. Like all you have to do is you just, you just step through. Like it's just, it's so you don't need luck. You don't need, you don't need to wheel and deal. Like the guy is just going to be right there. But don't, it, my, and, you know, I guess, sorry, BG, I, I guess. Yeah. I guess my main point is just like, don't do not, draft Brandon Miller at number two. If if you need to have him in for a workout and then float that, oh my God, you love him. Yeah. And if you need to send some envelopes full of cash to Jonathan Gavoni <laughs> or whoever you need to and say, yeah, we'd love it if you tweet this and then call Portland and say, look, here's the deal. In confidence between you and us, if you trade that third pick to a team that really wants Scoot Henderson, we'll make sure they get to two. We're drafting Brandon Miller. Like, yeah. This is, yeah. you know, this is the most advantageous situation the Hornets have been in from a franchise in a, in a long time. Yeah. And you can't squander it. If Brandon Miller's your guy, fine. But you just can't draft him at two, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And look, like maybe a team like maybe Houston, you can kind of go to with, uh, with, with something, you know, similar in mind. And it, and it did seem like, you know, it, it's tough to tell like what is or isn't smoke at this point, including like stuff that's, coming out of seemingly coming out of Charlotte's camp, which is sort of 
you know, uh, has a reputation for, I think, normally being pretty tight um, or just like not letting a lot of stuff uh, get out. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. And uh, it does seem like Miller has not uh, it would. People were saying he was sort of out of shape. And I mean, who knows, like how the workouts are going to go. It does seem like that that's something that Mitch Kupchak would put. A, a, like a, a lot of uh, a lot of weight into and so if scoot comes in and has just like a monster workout you know maybe that's enough to to sway it i i it kind of feels like you need more than it. i don't know these things should never come down to just like one thing and I'm, I'm not saying it even would in this regard but but perhaps that would be like if you're really pulling for scoot to come to charlotte like maybe that's one of the things you're sort of banking on what um, do you make from that bg like the whole uh because i, I think it's a a very trustworthy report that Brandon Miller's not in shape, but like we haven't been that far removed from basketball. Like how is he so out of shape already? I, that just took me back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's surprising, uh, especially for a guy that's had, um, you know, in theory you would have thought the last eight weeks would have been just him working out. And, you know, like he's, he's an older, he's an older prospect. So you would think maybe there'd be more incentive for him to, to really like get into, killer shape i'm i'm not sure like it and it's one of those things it's just like i don't know like who knows maybe he is maybe brandon miller is actually in great shape and he is doing right. or, or maybe there's someone in the comments saying rumors are that miller had mono and if 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 that's true that sucks and that would probably explain why why he wouldn't his conditioning would be down so um yeah i can't speculate too too much on that because because i don't know but Scoot is the guy that clearly was in uh, very good shape uh, physically. Like he's really bulked up um, the long arms, the incredible speed, the, the body control. I mean, just a really impressive downhill driver uh, when he puts all that package, when he puts the whole package together, someone in the comments, I think it was Adam price was saying uh, he doesn't know why scoot shot so bad uh, from three is, you know, his form, uh, you know, looks okay. I think of I th- I think like long term Scoot's gonna like become like a, a, a like a totally passable if not like you know good three point shooter. I think it's gonna take some time, but he does have like a nice shooting base. You see it when he gets to his pull up looks. You've seen it from the free throw line, and there are moments where he uh, gets going as like a, a pull up shooter from deep or a step back shooter from deep, where you can see like. Uh, you can see the outline of a guy who really would have sort of like off dribble pull up shooting to 20 whatever feet away from the hoop. And if he, if assuming that comes, that becomes a part of his game, then like, I mean, he's, I think he's going to be an awesome player no matter what. But like, if he has like really big growth as like a pull up shooter, all of a sudden teams can't just go under those screens. Man, he's going to be, he's going to be really tough to stop uh, in the NBA because his athleticism is so good and he's, really really good at throwing live dribble pocket passes and other bounce passes not not to just like open guys but into uh into tight windows and i think he does a really nice job passing around the basket um you know kind of like throwing guys open into space getting in the air drawing a second defender and then dropping it down it just feels like mark williams would feast on drop-off passes um um from scoot henderson but i i do think with some slight tweaks you know, I would think in an NBA system, maybe some better shot selection too. Like all of a sudden you're going to weed out some of the worst shots that he's taking. That's going to bump up the percentage a little bit. Then with some, some tweaks as he becomes a, a more fluid shooter, a stronger athlete, 
then then it's going to bump up, uh, you know, even even further here. All right. From from this point on, I mean, I feel like we've talked a lot about Scoot on this pod going back to the last uh, the last few months or really going back to last fall. Now, do you want to talk at all about about Miller or is there anything else, Spencer, you'd like to to bring up on Scoot or Scoot versus Miller? The last thing I would say about Scoot is really just considering his age, considering how explosive of an athlete he is, just freakish athlete. Like he's still at the age where like that he's just going to lean into that. Um, He's been able to get away with that. Even, you know, obviously even playing for elite and before, and before elite, like he's going to have to learn the rest of the game. And when he gets to the NBA level and he sees NBA defenses that can really load up on him, and show him the athletes that are going to take that away from him, you know, to your point, he's going to learn to become a better shooter. But it's just not fair for a guy that's this young and this athletic to already be be able to do that stuff because he's never had to do it. (laughs) And for good reason, like there's, there's never been a reason for him to really, you know, hone that part of his, of his basketball skills. I, I don't look at his shot, BG, and see something that suggests he can't be no, a good shooter. No, I, I agree. I think, again, I think small tweaks and just like the natural progression that comes with more reps in, in age, I think he's going to totally find water um, as a shooter. You also you touched on this briefly with regards to Miller um, and playing in Alabama's uh, system. I, I do kind of want to touch on that because I watched a lot of Bama this year. And in the last week or so, I've watched probably a handful more like full Alabama games. He was and look like all credit. I think Miller would have been awesome, you know, regardless of system, right? I, he's like he's a, a big time prospect, long wing who can shoot. There's some self creation to his game. He shoots off the move. Pretty good defender. Like even at Virginia, you think he would have been I, like a, a lottery prospect? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think he would have been like you know he would have had like a Trey Murphy like season. You know what I mean? But right, maybe right, maybe they right. get him some more pin down shooting and and he would uh, you know and blocker mover and when they get to the motion off the inside triangle stuff and he can really shoot off movement. Alabama featured that a lot and that sort of like brings me to my point that like again I think he was a big time prospect regardless of system, but he was also playing in the in the best possible scenario at Alabama this season, like it, this doesn't have to factor into the, into the, you know, in terms of, I should say in terms of like on the court two way scheme, this was a good fit for him. He often got to play power forward minutes when they would go small and, you know, put uh, Nick Pringle or Noah Clowney at center or put B at keep him at center and take one of the other fours off and let Miller get to cook against, you know, guys that are, that he has some sort of like athletic uh, advantage over. There were lots of nice, you know, nothing, not, not exactly like, you know, NBA, you know, splitting the atom type movement sets, but just like good movement sets where you'd see Brandon Miller, you know, he'd set a, he'd set a, a, a you know, back screen, a rip screen, and then come off a handoff. Right. And you get that, that like good movement, screen the screener shooting and he's he's awesome shooting off of that stuff um he is not like a jordan hawkins type like explosive you know big you know gets gets you know four feet off the court or whatever like he's he's not a huge leaper shooting off movement or shooting off the catch but he has such a high release a quick release that you know he can shoot it over length he can shoot it over contest he can shoot it off movement he can shoot it from really really deep like there's no reason to not buy this guy's 
you know, to, to buy the shot. Like it, it's it's big time, even if he isn't like uh, again, sort of like a Hawkins, just like nuclear, you know, speed guy coming off off screens and pin downs and just jumping above uh, a contest. He can, he kind of does it more using um, his length. And I should say, Scoot actually has a pretty pretty high release point as well uh, with that wingspan of his own. So that probably bodes well for him long term. But also Alabama's defensive scheme. This is a team that switched a lot, and I think that's probably good for him to kind of get those types of reps if it matters at all. But uh, you got to see some screen navigation from Miller. You know, they would drop Bidiaco on a lot of ball screens, who's the sort of, you know, more groundbound center. If Clowney was in at five, that he would drop sometimes, or they would, again, there was a lot of switching in their, in their scheme too. But there's just been a lot of talk about, like, when we make these, when people make the Miller versus Paul George comp, which we talked about a little bit last week, Spencer, just sort of like why that type of comparison can be fraught. It feels like we do glaze over the defensive part of that comparison. Mm-hmm. Like we just talk about, Oh, six, nine shot maker, which like, that's hard enough to project <laughs> mind you. But like, I, I think Brandon Miller is like a nice defender, but like I, I don't necessarily see him as being like an all all NBA defensive, you know, pros- that kind of that kind of defender, that kind of screen navigator. I think he has the ability to be like very disruptive and you can see him like challenge and, and be present in passing lanes. He really uses his his length well. Um even when he's one pass away, like he's in good position, he's got his arms out. And he competes really, really hard for rebounds and loose balls. Like he he wants it. Like he he competes hard defensively. It's the marginal things, right? Like, yeah, I, I think the guy plays hard on defense is what you're saying. And I watched enough Alabama uh, last year to know exactly what you're talking about. But, you know, Alabama was not built to be a 24-second defensive team. They were built to be <clears throat> first to the floor, first to lose balls, pressure the ball a lot, trap when they could, you know, these kind of things. And off the ball, it was kind of a lazy system. And – I, I get what you're what what I get exactly what you're saying what you're getting at that you know to be a great NBA defender you've got to be committed to do it for the entirety of possessions mm-hmm. and we did not see enough of that from Brandon Miller last year does he have the capability to do it absolutely of course he does I mean he's got he's got all the physical tools the athleticism um, I think he get a little stronger obviously uh, but. But yeah, that we there there is no evidence on film that this is a guy that's going to guard consistently. Certainly in year one, mm-hmm. but I, I don't. I agree with you. I, I don't think it projects long term. Um, and I, to add to that, the next layer would be you know pairing your uh, first line of defense, Lamelo Ball, with Brandon Miller, who's going to have to guard the best wing on the other team on a lot of nights. Um, with whatever the roster that the rest of the roster looks like next year is a recipe for another bottom five defense with Steve Clifford as the head coach. And that, that sounds like a bad recipe to me. You know, to be fair, you could probably say something similar to, uh, you know, scoot in LaMelo defensive backcourt that does that in year one certainly doesn't like uh ring of being good, but like, ha. I don't know. I, I mean, I want, I just want at this point, I just want good habits from them defensively next season. Like I, I think they'll be probably not a very good defense. Maybe Mark Williams makes a huge jump and 
with PJ still around and depending on who they draft or whatever, like maybe there's some sort of mini leap. They certainly played well defensively uh, the second half or the back third of the season, you know, post all-star break. But uh, for me, I-, I just care because they're young and because like, I don't think they're like a year away. I think they're multiple years away. I just want, I just want habits from them uh, long-term. I guess I'm more comfortable with Scoot coming in and being a little bit com- more committed to the dirty work than yeah. I would be Brandon Miller. And I, I don't even know how to like exactly describe that or measure it or calculate it, but I just, so I, I guess number one is the expectation. If you, if you put a six, nine wing next to LaMelo ball, who's six, seven, you're like, Oh, well this there's, there's a skeleton here of a decent defensive team. The opposite is you put a six, two scoot Henderson, you know, with, uh, with LaMelo ball, there, there's less expectation, but I think that has a more ability to punch above its weight than is that making any sense at all? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, and like, I mean, Lee was talking about this earlier, but I, I think I, I do think Scoot can get there defensively, guarding at the point of attack. Um, off the ball, he can still be like a little jumpy, but with that six nine wingspan, man, like he can. He again, I was watching this game against from with them against the Memphis Hustle from a couple of months ago, and he blocked. Uh, I can't remember if it was LaRavia or, or Zaire Williams, like at the like at the rim, like he got beaten and then recovered to block the shot. Um, he does like a nice job applying the length, and I mean you could say that about I, I guess about Miller, but it's not like he was like a stocks machine um, in Alabama's uh, system this season. I think he had like very sort of like modest. I think he was like two and a half percent, you know, right around two two and a half percent. Like it, it wasn't some sort of like outlier, you know, ridiculous numbers in those regards. Miller's playmaking is interesting to me. And and I'd kind of like to actually get some of your thoughts on that because there's a there are a lot of positives. Um because of his size, because of his shooting, there's some there's some stuff to play off of, right? Because he should in theory be able to whether he's coming off a ball screen or curling off a down screen, the thought should be, well, he, he might have to force someone to put two on the ball. Um and he can see the skip pass or he can see over the top and hit guys on the, on the roll. Like he's, he's able to sort of access some of those tough passes because of his size. He can pass with either hand, um, which I think is, is sort of is interesting. And, and I do like his playmaking, like coming off movement again. I'm not, I don't see him yet as a guy that you just run, you know, a couple dozen pick and rolls with per game. And like, that's all that's going to be like the foundation for an offense. I mean, I think part of the sell with him is that that's, part of it or like that's a huge part of it i'm not sure um but i do kind of like some of the stuff he does coming off of screens and hitting the outlet guys or hitting guys on the roll hitting guys on on the pop or you know keeping it for a dribble or two forcing the help then making the read he has a really nice like left-handed hesitation move uh, and that's one of the probably one of the best methods he has for getting downhill, like rejecting a screen or, or like sort of like using that lefty hang dribble to fake the, the pull up or the step back and then to cross over and, and get downhill. Um, he struggled finishing at the rim in the half court. He was under 40% this season. He is not like a, an incredible like leaper. Um, and again, I sort of talked about that with regards to his, to his jumper, but his finishing at the rim improved as the season went along. Um, 
So that definitely did get a little bit better. Has the ability to, I think, to sort of like settle for tough shots. I think that's something that will will improve as he continues to play more, uh, more and more basketball. Same with his decision making, which in general just probably needs to uh, get better. But I do sort of worry. Like I like, I like the passing. I like the movement, shooting. I like his ability to use both hands. But I think you can crowd him and pressure him as a dribble. I don't see him as this like incredible, you know, manipulator of, of pick and roll coverages like Scoot has been flashing for two seasons now. Maybe not in terms of manipulation, but just his ability to like shred a defense with a with a ball screen. And and so I and, and I just sort of worry about Miller's ability to finish at the rim in the half court. Like I'm I don't yeah. think any of the rim pressure concerns you already have with Lamelo like. I don't think Miller like long term is is sort of like fixing those. So I don't know any other any other thoughts here on on Miller before we maybe start to uh, close up shop and wrap this thing up. Well, I, no, I, I think you made good points. And the one thing when I watch Miller, I mean, let me let me back up. My favorite part about him is his ability to get to his left hand and finish with relative ease and efficiency. Um, with both hands, obviously, but to, to be able to do that going both sides down the lane line is uh, is a huge benefit to a player. I mean, it's just a great it's a great place to build from, right? I look at his ability to catch and attack quickly. I, of course, he has the ability to do it, but we haven't seen it very much from him. We didn't see it at Alabama. You know, Lamelo and and Miller remind me of each other in terms of they catch and they have to survey first. And a lot of what we saw from Brandon Miller at Alabama is that when he catches, even in, I think, a, a pretty advantageous situation where he could get at least a foot into the lane and make a play from there, he, he defers to the ball screen coming first, right? And to play out of that, I, 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 I'm uncertain of how quickly he's going to play offensively, and. Um, and that's what I think really makes good offenses in this league now is being able to play quickly and make quick decisions. And he doesn't – he's super, super talented. And, again, I like him as a prospect. And I think he's going to score a lot of points every season in the NBA. Um, but I, I don't I don't read him as a quick decision maker. And if I'm putting someone next to LaMelo Ball, considering the advantageous situations that a dynamic player and scorer – such as Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, one of the traits I'd really be looking at is how quickly they can attack that that situation. And I think Scoot, and you made this point really good on the last pod, is like his ability to attack and break down a defense and just just break through the wall and you know and put the defense into multiple rotations almost in the blink of an eye. I mean, there's nobody else like him in this draft. And in number of drafts, Brandon Miller's not that guy. And not to say he's not a good player, not a good scorer, but I, I don't I just there's something I don't love about LaMelo Ball, Brandon Miller fit. Yeah. I, again, I can see why some uh see it as like natural because it's guard with the shot making wing, but you know, I think below the surface there there are some things, including the the rim pressure concerns. Like I I know there are some, including some people who whose opinions of of the draft or the Hornets that I that I would consider to be pretty darn good that that see Miller as a guy that can can be a rim pressure person. Um, 
uh, I know I may I could be flat wrong about that. I just don't I just don't see it quite yet. In, Last in thing the- I would say, BG, is I think to unlock, you know, Brandon Miller, his his ultimate ceiling. I do think that a team needs to be able to play very very fast, and in the NBA that becomes harder. Well, number one, because you have less seconds to work with, right? Number two, you can't quite play it as aggressively defensively uh, as Alabama like to play. Uh, you can do that in college basketball. You can't do that in the NBA. And so, you know, the old adage, like the game slows down, and I think Brandon Miller is going to have a real learning curve when the game slows down. Um, yeah. That's kind of the guy that I see. And and I and with Scoot Henderson, yeah, he's going to make a ton of dumb mistakes. I mean, he's going to have so many turnovers, right, <laughs> this rookie year, just being a Tasmanian devil going to the rim. But ultimately that probably is going to – develop into something more clear cut in my opinion than a Brandon Miller. Um, yeah. And they're very, very different players and athletes, but that's, that's just kind of my early read looking at the tape. Yeah. Again, I like Miller a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, I'm just, I come out a little bit lower in terms of evaluating his athleticism, evaluating his handle. And while the passing is good, I don't think it's like, um, it's just not enough to like sway me, and I, I already think Scoot is a is a is a really good passer with uh, two years of you know professional experience under his belt. He's also eighteen months younger <laughs> than uh, than than Brandon Miller too. So, and the last thing I would say too, you know, we Scoot took a lot of pull up shots this season, and you know, obviously that's not in a vacuum. That's not great. Like you do want Scoot to be. You would like him to have had, you know, forty percent of his shots this year at, in the G League at the rim, as opposed to, you know, somewhere in the thirties or whatever. Um, he shot an okay number; it was around sixty-three percent in the regular season for the G League. It's not bad, with like two-thirds of those coming assisted. I do think the pull-up shooting, though, like that type of shot versatility, taking a lot of shots that are in the fifteen to twenty-foot range, or the ten to fifteen, or ten to twenty range, like however you want to like split those zones of the floor. That is the kind of scoring that um, one, you know, Nate Oates doesn't have a lot of that uh, in the offense at Alabama where they're, they're all dunks and threes. And it was something that was very different for G league ignite, which as a team wide took a ton of mid range shots this season. But like, that is also like the domain of the star score. And so I think the fact that like scoot already looks like a guy that can give you some mid range scoring with that athleticism, with the playmaking, um, and then when the shot does improve um, and teams aren't just able to like duck under screens and sort of try to like goad him into settling for some of those pull-up shots and not attacking downhill when the lanes are there. Um, I, again, I just see, I just see him to be a, a guy that can be like a really special uh, offensive player at the, um, on the next level. So uh, Spencer, any last thoughts here? If not, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and uh, close this out. Yeah, yeah, very quickly, and then close this out. Um, I, I would just say, you know, diehard Hornets fans, if you're listening to this, you're a diehard Hornets fan <laughs> or a diehard NBA fan. You know, j- just don't forget, uh, it's very possible that it's agreed upon that this t- this franchise is going to be sold before the draft. And I think it's it's fair to assume that MJ was was waiting to see how the lottery played out. Um, obviously, for valuation purposes, uh, before signing on the dotted line. So. It, the narrative's going going to change a lot, right? And um, that's just before we get too uh, wrapped up in this. Oh my, you know, we they like Brandon Miller more than they like Scoot. 
there's there's a lot that can change for the Charlotte Hornets and who's making the ultimate calls uh, before the draft gets here. Yeah, and it should be noted, like, uh, still several weeks to go, Gavoni said he thought it was 60-40 Miller, so it's not like it's, it, you know, I mean, that's just one man's sort of, you know, read of the room, temperature check, but... Um, you know, that, that streaks, that, that is, seems more coin flip than it is like a, a certainty, right? At least at, at this stage, but, um, who knows? You can't put too much, uh, stock in that stuff. And look, like Spencer said, uh, was sort of just kind of, um, hinting at this is going to be a really busy off season for the Hornets. Uh, the draft is going to be big, who knows, potential in ownership, a sale and ownership change. Um, the free, the restricted free agency of PJ Washington, the possible, Lamelo Ball, uh, you know, fu- fun max as Brian Windhorst likes to say. Those extension talks um, likely to start to, you know, if they if it's not already settled, but you know, sort of something that's going to become more of a focal point of the off season. Something we've discussed plenty in this podcast. Something we will continue to talk about more, especially as the draft approaches. So lots of stuff the next couple of weeks, at least you know, all the way through. Um, summer league and if not further so thanks again for joining us today as always please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast review us on apple podcast or spotify or where i get my podcast visit buzzbeat.substack.com for information about our private podcast feed where you can get ad-free episodes and early access along with some other bonus content so for lee who had to duck out of here earlier for spencer thank you again for uh, for being here and richie for producing this as always uh, this is brian thank you for joining us until next time go hornet